Welcome to episode 324 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. How you doing? Needs to be said. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. By the time this goes into people's ear holes, it'll be 2023. It's true. It's true. How did that happen? That's just time marches on, I guess. What year of the podcast is this for us? The year know. of our Lord? 2016, I think, is when we started. So this wow. is like year eight. I mean, we probably could have just divided 324 by 52. You're the math guy. Wow. Yeah, but it's just more fun to do it this way. It's so true. we're basically saying the podcast is beyond kindergarten. I know. So like, was that first, second grade? Yeah. I Something think so. like that? Something like that. Wow. It feels like it should be more mature than it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's true. That's true. Hopefully we'll get there by the time we talk about our topic of corporate and public prayer, what I'm calling PC prayer. Yes. Hopefully we'll be more mature by the time we get to that topic, but we'll take a little bit of excursus, some time to develop ourselves as we do affirmations and denials. I'll kick it back to you. Which would you like to do first? Well, normally we talk about whether we have affirmations and denials ready <laughs> before the episode. So I'm going to kick it back to you since I haven't really thought about it all that much Okay, yet. so this is great. This is podcasting in real time. People will be listening to this then as it literally unfolds. So you're gonna, you're saying that as I give mine, you are going to call it audible. Yes. Okay, this is going to be great. Everybody yeah. get ready. So whatever you hear from Tony <laughs> will be completely... This is like podcasting jazz. Yeah. Just play the right notes. This is complete improvisation. Like you're going to do, I love this. I mean, I'm sure you got some stuff hanging out somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure I can pull something out of the of recesses right. of my consciousness. Well, let me, I'm going to kick it back to you again. Do you want me to deny or approve or affirm first? Why don't you affirm something first? Ooh, okay. That's very good. I really thought you were going to go negative, which just, <laughs> which just goes to show the lack of preparation uh, on, on everybody's part here. Okay. So because it is the new year, I was trying to think of something that was wholly accessible and this is not the denial, but in some ways I'm denying against the pressure of trying to t undertake like a Bible reading plan. If you're just going to feel that as a weight around yeah. your neck, we talked about that before. Yes. Certainly you want to marinate, spend time in the scriptures, but if so doing by putting yourself into a plan just creates more stress, such it becomes like a legalistic obligation. You definitely want to shoot that. So instead I'm saying, here's something that you might want to supplement with. So I'm affirming with basically any kind of daily reading. That's a compliment to your scriptural study, but I like this little volume. It's super cheap. It's like two 99 on Kindle. It's the Puritans daily readings by Randall J. Pedersen. And it is one of the reasons I like it is because it's short, it's sweet. The volume, if you get it in and you can get like a faux leather version, it's like I'm looking at right now, $23. So it's, nice. it's mad cheap. It's very small. You can carry it with you because I don't know, maybe you'll be at the line, the DMV. You yeah. like, know what is great right now? Some Puritans. So <laughs> it's a short reading with a, a verse attached to it, but it is the original writing. So it's got a little of that old school flavor in the English, but I just think this is a, a really nice way. This book is divided in such that each month is a different Puritan. So you get a nice. whole month of the writings, which is nice. You get to kind of wade through some of the stuff, get a sense for like that essential nature or that again, flavor, if you will, the pea yeah. flavor, Puritan flavor. And then uh, just, just to clarify, <laughs> there are lots of words to start with P. And then I think this is just a nice way to kind of propel you back into the scriptures, but give you yeah. something around the center of the scriptures. Do not forsake the reading of 
the law and the gospel. Whatever you can do, do not forsake that. If you're looking for something to come alongside that, and again, if you miss a couple of days, who cares, right? Yeah. Because it's just reading of the period. This is kind of like some icing on your daily worship cake. We've had a lot of cake. We have had a lot of cake in the past. I've totally yeah. mixed them all. So it's true. It's all, it's all together. We've had a lot of cake this week too. <laughs> I think there's more cake coming. I think there's cheesecake. Coming. Is there? I think so. Man, mom made a cheesecake today and it was sitting on the counter. I just I, wanted to like put my face down in the cheesecake. I love a good. But I would have uh, been like excommunicated okay. from the family. My mother is an excellent cook. I would say particularly among the desserts. Yes, in the dessert realm, she yeah. is unmatched. Yes, there is no equal. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think. Sometimes the pressure of a Bible reading plan can be a little bit overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I think this time of year, there's so many like blog posts and articles and Facebook posts right. and recommendations. I saw one today that was like, who's on board for reading 10 chapters of scripture every day? And I was like, nobody, nobody's on board for that. <laughs> like, I know, like, okay, that's not actually that much. That's not an unbearable, insurmountable goal. No. But realistically, like for me, having a baby this last year, it's been really hard to keep up with a morning Bible reading plan. Not necessarily because I don't have time, but a right. lot of times in the morning, I don't know if I'm going to have time. So I don't start because I don't want to get interrupted. Right. And like, as soon as I start then the baby starts crying and I got to go get him up. So having, having something alongside of it, um, even though it's not necessarily taking away from the amount of scripture reading, it's sort of like gives you a little bit of energy because there's like a yes. little nugget of something you can read. I know you love the word nugget related to devotions. It's a nugget <laughs> it's of devotions. Favorite. But there's like a little, word. a little kernel of something you can read alongside <laughs> your scripture reading that sort of like helps you feel like you're making progress, yeah, but sure. then also like propels you back into the scripture. I think that's great. And honestly, like if you don't want to do a Bible reading plan, that's fine. Don't do there's it. no law that says you have to do a Bible reading no plan. No law. Um, pick up your Bible as often as you can and read as much as you can. And right. that's your plan. And if you don't get to it one day, that's fine. Totally yeah, fine. Some would have you believe that there's somewhere out there, this elite police unit, they show up at your door. If they yeah. found that you've gone more than two days away from your Bible reading plan. But I think as we talked about in the past, the more important thing here is this idea of regular daily worship, with, yeah. which is a large part of that being prayer. Right. And then on the other part being Spending time in the scriptures. Yeah. If this is just another way to kind of help encourage you and maybe to get you excited about going back in the scriptures, or again, just provide some commentary around the scriptures that's thought provoking. Yeah. This is that book. So I'll give it again. It's the Puritans daily readings. Nice. Totally accessible. And I think it's worthy of an affirmation at this point in the calendar. Excellent. How about you? Are you ready? I'm you ready. Seem ready. I can I'm see ready. It in your eyes. Yes. So this is, uh, I think maybe like everybody should affirm this at least once a year. Okay. I'm affirming making use of your vacation time. So <laughs> everybody who it's works, story here. most, most people work who work full-time jobs get vacation time of some sort. Um, paid time off, which is nice. It's, it's kind of a relatively new historical situation that employees get paid time off. Um, and for whatever reason in the United States, like people don't take their vacation time. That's true. And I have some really amazing, gracious, um, image bearer coworkers who don't know Jesus that I really wish did, but they still bear God's image. And so there are certain kinds of common grace things that come through. And they approached me, I don't know, like a week and a half, two weeks before the holiday break and said, you know, we're not planning on taking any time off during, uh, the Christmas season. And you work really hard and you've had uh, a difficult year just getting used to being a father. So why don't you take two weeks instead of just one? And it's like been super nice. So now I'm coming up to the end of my first week of vacation time. 
I still have another week of vacation time in front of me, which is amazing. And I think, you know, we're in a situation in the United States, at least, where most of us who work full-time jobs get these benefits. And unfortunately, we don't take them. Yeah. And it's so important because there there are good reasons. There's good, like, scientific evidence-based reasons to, to show that, like, taking your vacation time is actually better for your productivity. Right. But it's just good for your soul to have some downtime away from work. Um, you know, obviously, we have the weekly Sabbath, and that's, that's the God-ordained rhythm. But... God never said like you have to not take vacations. So I know sometimes there's kind of this like weird Puritan American work ethic that we just like, we got to keep at it. And some people have jobs where it's just not feasible. And sometimes people have jobs where it's actually more of a burden to them to take a full long vacation like that than others. So I want to be sensitive to all that. Not everybody's situation is the same, but whatever, whatever is, is available to you and is useful to sort of take that time to recuperate and spend some time not being productive, just, just doing something that's not productive, um, I think is really important. And if you're, if you're interested, we did a whole series through a book called reset by, uh, by David Murray that talks wow. a lot about this kind Good of stuff. Call. So go check it out back in the back catalog. Uh, but he talks about a lot of this kind of stuff, just like it's important to have downtime and that it's yeah. important to sleep. It's important to eat well. All those things are really, really key. Yeah. Well, that was great. That was like 12 bars and B flat. <laughs> that was right on a couple of things popped to my mind. One is that you're absolutely right. And sometimes it's not about necessarily like the way in which you group those days, but if you're able to space the days out, if you, yeah. to your point, if you feel that either maybe you love your work too, but it's important to build in some regular times of rest. And if your employer allows you to do that, it ought to be something we take advantage of. The second thing is this again, to me is a bit like getting to the spirit behind the letter of the law. Of course, God gives us this really pronounced explicit letter, which says one day in seven is a day that is a day of rest. And yet behind that, what we find is God is saying, you need to have regular rhythms beyond that of rest. Whether you go to Jubilee in the Old Testament or elsewhere, what we find is that God is always a God of rest and that we need extended times at certain points. So as to not just to reset, as it were, like you might reset your computer or your phone, yeah. but to recalibrate entirely. In other words, like it takes a little bit of time for us to decompress from right. the regular routine, to fall out of step yeah. with all the demands of the world and into step with something that is actual rest. Yeah. We shouldn't undervalue that. And everybody again has to kind of apply that in their lives in their own way. But I do believe you're absolutely right. And that is, especially if God's giving you the blessing of being able to have access to that, it is something you ought to consider seriously yeah. and how you might evoke that and yeah. invoke that into your own schedule and your own life. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we're on denials. I think it's your turn first and I'm <laughs> yeah. going to need a few minutes to get mine prepared. I think. Yeah, that's fair. So here's, you can follow this under again, Jesse being old and just coming out into the lawn and finding the kids <laughs> skateboarding and shaking his fist at the world. But I'm already starting to see because of the turn of the calendar, something like this. And this isn't like the periodicals I pay to read. I've subscribed to articles like this. This expert gives you a review of the entire year. And I'm thinking, well, I was there. Like it's easy for like an expert <laughs> yeah. in hindsight to give you some kind of information. I'm so tired of that. So I'm denying it's this idea of like all these articles now that will come out whenever the calendar turns yeah. over as like, hey, so-and-so who's an expert is going to give you a review of what happened this year. And I think, yeah, I was there. That's great. You know, it'd be even better, though this is impossible, is the expert who is prescient. <laughs> I know somebody who's prescient. That, that's factually Bazinga. correct. <laughs> <laughs> factually correct. Uh, so it's just like, uh, maybe it's generally this time of year where you get yeah. these kind of like things in review as if like I need to go back and, yeah. and read all these things. But it's just so funny to me that there's 
all these articles touting the great expertise of somebody who's looking at something in hindsight, especially when it comes to like economic and financial yeah, matters. You want to yeah. be like, oh, right, that's easy. Yeah. Like, listen, you want to put your money where your mouth is. If you can predict that stuff, I'd be more than happy to read all your words. I'm not going to read 3000 words on what happened this year and why what happened this year is what happened this year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think in general, like that sort of, I don't know, maybe this is my church history training, but like that kind of like pop immediate history yeah. kind of thing. Lame. Like that that's always like the question, like what's the difference between history and journalism? And it, there's usually like a, a cutoff, like history involves people who aren't alive anymore. Right. But like, I, I, I'm with you. Like, I don't, I don't know why we need to read about like basic stuff. You see this even on sites like, um, like the gospel coalition, you see art, like retrospective articles about right. like movements and, and like music that came out in the last year. And you're like, I don't, I just don't see what the value is at. I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I recently heard my goodness. I can't remember where this was now. I think it was on a podcast about business, something on the Harvard business review actually, but it was all these studies on the importance of fresh starts yeah. and they actually went to religion and a lot of religious philosophies, Christianity being one of them, of course the predominant one where you can get essentially a new beginning. Yeah. And they talked about the importance of new beginnings, how it brings hope and how it brings in some ways this chance to just start over whatever yeah. you had in the past to set it aside and say, this is new. And I think unfortunately the calendar just presents this weird oddity where you yeah. can say like, well, this year is going to be different, but it's one day to the next. Isn't right. it? So yeah. even doing a retrospective, you want to be like, you know, one twelfth of that retrospective happened just 31 days right. ago yeah. at best. And one 365 of it was yesterday. Exactly. So yeah. you, you kind of want to say like, even as a weight, it's irrelevant. It's just, but this goes to the human longing for a yeah. true fresh start, even if the fresh start is every day. So the fact that, you know, the old hymn says your, your mercies are new and true every morning. Like yeah. that is a true reality that we find embedded in ourselves that we long for that. But I guess maybe I'm just saying is like, listen, everybody loved ones. We can go right to the start on that one. Yeah. Every day could be a new year, so to speak. And actually it is in Christ. Yeah. I mean, that's what the scriptures promise to us, but it's because of that great sacrifice that secures that. And then the Holy spirit who applies it into our lives. So this is like, that could be a whole episode in of itself. Yeah. 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 Now, now you're up though. So get, get ready. Are you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think <laughs> this is the biggest yawn I've I know. seen in a long time. It's been a, been a long day already. Uh, I think this is just like the perennial midwinter, no reason denial. And we're kind sure. of out of that, but just denying images of Jesus. Like this time of year, Here we go. whether it is Christmas time or just in general, they're so prominent. They're everywhere. They're like, it's true. Like we kind of joked when we did the bonus episode, like you're driving down the road and like, there's like, there's like idols in church lawns all over the place. So, I mean, I don't know that I need to go into to like vast detail about this. We've talked about this. Some people would say we've talked about this way too much, but <laughs> I just think like there's even, even people who don't hold the sort of classic reformed iconoclast position, right. I think should be able to recognize that there is a danger in the way that our culture has made images of God and images of Jesus in particular, right. just commonplace and regular. And the very nature of something holy is that it's not commonplace. It's that's literally like the definition of something holy is it the opposite of something that's commonplace. Right. And we've taken something that even if we were to grant some argument that said images of Jesus somehow could possibly be created, which we we don't think they even, it's not even a possibility. We have no right. data to go on to make an accurate image. But even if somehow we granted that argument, sort of like this ubiquitous images are everywhere and they're just like 
they're like lawn ornamentation. I sometimes I wonder we've kind of joked about like the little Virgin Mary statue that's in the little alcove yes. that people put in their front yard. It's right. like she's in like a little bullet yes. casing. Right. Um I don't understand on one level how they don't see that like they're they're turning this revered figure into like a lawn ornament. Right. And I know like there's there's a whole theology of like blessing and like relic kind of stuff, but I think we just, we turn, when we, we make Jesus in any sense, commonplace, we've, we've now made him not God. Yeah. And I think that the very core of our objection to, to images of Jesus, that's the objection, right? We've, we've made, we've made God commonplace. We've made God, we've domesticated him into this little figurine that we can put in our front yard or we can wear around our neck or we can put up on our wall or we can put in our, our picture book. And it, it's just, it's bad news. Even, like I said, even people who don't hold the classic reformed understanding of, of why we deny the possibility of images and why we believe they're sinful, even those people should be able to see that the way that our culture handles images of Jesus. I mean, our church culture, I don't mean like our culture at large, right. that's certainly problematic, but even our church culture, our evangelical church culture just didn't just handles it poorly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, uh, yeah. I think you're right on about that because the challenge I would lay out to people is that what's the opposite of holy is not secular profane. It's normative. Right. So if you water it down to such a degree that it becomes this commonplace, someone could argue that it is not set apart because right. the thing that is set apart is the thing that's distinct and unusual and extreme and otherworldly and all that stuff. So yeah. I actually think that in some ways Christians are to blame for the way in which the culture personifies and illustrates Jesus yeah. because of that sliding scale. So imagine for instance, and I've seen this, we talked about, I talked about this like a long time ago, but this always sticks in my mind is I've seen this ugly Christmas sweater. Yeah. That has an image of Jesus and it says birthday boy. Yeah. Now somebody might look at that as Christian and be like, yeah, it's going a little bit too far. You know, like I, I get it, but you're poking fun or yeah. like, you know, a shirt that says like Jesus saves and it's Jesus in a goal with yeah. goalie gloves, you know, keeping the soccer ball at, out between the posts. Yeah. But the question that you have to answer is where's the line then? Where is it? Okay. And where is it not? Is it like some sense of mockery, but then yeah. how much mockery? Because really if we're personifying Jesus in any way, what we're trying to say is that we're somehow able to encapsulate the whole of his essence. And if you're saying, well, I'm not encapsulating part of it, then you've already betrayed the fact that you made him not truly God and truly man. And who can personify truly God? So I'll kick it back to you on this one because uh, I'll give you credit. People can search for this. I don't know where it is now, but your website is what reformedarsenal.com. There's something you wrote Several years ago, I think at this point, but it's not even talking about the theological perspective, but right. just the practical perspective of considering what it means yeah. to have images. I think people should go take a look at that. So even if you disagree with our theological perspective on this, I think what you put forward just as like, what is the benefit and perhaps yeah. or what might be the downside, the great disadvantage of doing this? You just lay it out and say, listen, you're reasonable people. Right. Read this and, yeah. and sort it out for yourself. Yeah. And I think I think uh, you're being ever charitable, but I, I think the idea that most evangelical Christians out there would object to a t-shirt with Jesus dressed up as a goalie saying Jesus saves. I actually think that that's probably not true. Really? I think that's funny and that's chill. Yeah. I mean, I think if I think back and maybe, maybe the culture has changed and I'm just out of date with it, but I think back to my evangelical years when I was, was kind of like involved in that part of the church. 
um, you'd go to big Christian conferences and concerts and you'd find t-shirts like that all mm-hmm. the time. And I know like there's a lot of like the, there used to be a really, I think you and Conrad on Fast God stuff did a, <laughs> did a series, uh, like a episode Christian on this. t-shirts. Yeah. But like there was a, a, a time period where like the really big thing was to take like popular logos and popular slogans yes. and sort of mutate that. Do the Jew. Yeah. Or yeah, that like that's, but that's a perfect <laughs> example is like the line between. So bad. So the, so the third commandment class this, so we were, we've been talking about second commandment issues, but images of Jesus bring up a whole host of third commandment issues too, blasphemy issues. The line between, um, using Christ's image and using Christ's name or his attributes or, um, or anything else by which God has revealed himself, right? That's the classic definition. They're They're all connected. So the distinction between, you know, um, uh, Old, the the original old navy was 12 men and a savior and a fishing boat right like that's right. that's what the one i remember like there's a pepsi you know like a pepsi logo looking thing and it's mutated to be a, a jesus reference of some sort or do the jew like a mountain dew logo yeah. like those kinds of things are really not all that different than just mockery images um i would argue that a a t-shirt that is um I, the very first Christian t-shirt I ever got was, a, it was like a Ford logo. Okay. Same um, Lord. Or it was a Chevy logo. Oh. And it, it, up. it, but it was, it was sort of like distended to look like a cross and it said like a rock in the middle. Uh, right. Okay. And, but like the distinction between that, which is well-intentioned, right? They're not trying yeah, to be blasphemous, of course. but the distinction between using what God has revealed about himself in a sort of like casual fashion and using an image of Jesus as a soccer player in a casual fashion. Like that's actually the same error, maybe in different degrees, maybe. Right. Um, but when we're casual, we joke about this. I remember real, actually like, I remember real distinctly, it was a, a, a sermon by Alistair Begg. He did this amazing sermon series on the law. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called pathway to freedom. Yeah, I think I is, is the sermon series. It's on the 10 commandments. It's amazing. And he actually sort of like threw himself at God's mercy on there. Cause he was talking about the third commandment and he went back, sort of went back to his own preaching history and said, how many times have I told the joke where the little boy thinks that the prayer, uh, the Lord's prayer is Harold, Harold be thy name. How many times have I told that in a sermon and actually like blasphemed the Lord Mm -hmm. by making that a casual reference? And I think that that's something we would all do well to think about. And I think this time of year in, in sort of this, Christmas season, midwinter, no reason season, as we approach Easter is going to be the next big one, but really all year round, we shouldn't be casual and make God and how he's revealed himself to be commonplace. Right. And the, our argument against images is another step further because God's never revealed himself. He's expressly not revealed himself right. by an image. That's his jam. Right. His specific, the like he's the invisible God. Like there's right. a specific prohibition and the reason for the prohibition is that he's never given us an image by which to worship. But even if that weren't true, we still are far too casual with how we think about mm. images of God and, and and verbal representations and and slogans and and slang and kind of stuff like that. Yeah, at the in the final analysis, to quote R.C. Sproul, well done. It's, and like everyone else who's ever listened to R.C. Sproul, <laughs> it's one. Of, and again, in my defense, I didn't even know in my line of business we often say in the final analysis true. because the analysis is final. But it's worth the challenge. So yeah. no matter how you feel hearing these words, it's worth the challenge right. to consider them and to think about how uh, value it for yourselves. Again, you're reasonable people. Yeah. Value it for yourselves. So and I'll say this about R.C. Sproul. So R.C. Sproul, <laughs> while he was alive, <laughs> held a very different view of that's true. images and he thought they were appropriate and fine. 
And I know this is sort of like a little bit of a flippant way to say it, but I guarantee you that now that he's actually seen the Lord as he is, he regrets the sort of cheap representations that he allowed. Well, at least we appreciate regrets. There are no regrets when you get to heaven, but I think you can understand this. No regrets or no regrets. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can understand the sentiment though. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is that that was a man that above almost anything put like holiness as as given hegemony over all things. So it is worth pondering. I think yes. that's what we're saying is like, yes, give no images a chance. Yeah. Or even just think <laughs> about it. Like what I find is that, and this was my experience. And I yeah. think this was probably your experience too, is the, the initial gut reaction when people hear this theology that denies the propriety of images, especially of Jesus yeah. is almost like, a, well, that's, that's like a stupid, silly thing. Yeah, to it say. seems unnecessary. Yeah. It seems unnecessary. The argument seems spurious. And as soon as you start to actually think through it, right, it, it sinks into your soul in a really kind of particular way, and it sort of it sort of like lays on top of you until yeah. you submit to it. Is my has been my experience, and I think a lot of people's experience as they wrestle with that. Yeah, I've already said before. I'm trying to find it now. What did this for me? Which was the thing that really pushed me over was John Owen. Yeah, I think it was the loveliness of Christ. Yeah. And once he articulated that, and then I saw that what he was articulating, which was really in line with so many things that they're reading. Like we talked about, well, this is one of the arguments we don't need to get into this, was that this, the way that we see the imagery now is really completely novel. Right. That's not like the historicity of the church. Yeah. It's not the traditional perspective. And so if that was born out of those who actually saw Jesus in the yeah. flesh and yet at that moment said, you know what we shouldn't do is make an image of right. Jesus for those who had actually seen him, then there was something to be said for right. that. And But, you know, John Owen really beautifully articulates this idea of like, what it means to actually apprehend things yeah. by faith, if that's the way that God has commanded us to do so, and not by sight. And the thing is, you maybe can move that line around as to where you draw the boundary. Right. But he was basically like, this is what God says. Yeah. So he, his challenge, again, was basically like, just consider it. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Just consider it. Ponder it, meditate on it, ruminate. Yeah. And uh, where I found was that not only was it seemed to be like the historicity of this understanding was entirely correct, but that it entirely comported with the scriptures as well. Yeah. And just maybe one last thought to round this out. <laughs> and we could talk, we have done entire episodes about this. So this will, and we're doing this will be the final thought for today. Even the traditions of the church who, who not only authorize the use of images, but make extensive use of images, right? Yeah. I'm thinking like the Eastern Orthodox church with icons for and sure. the Roman Catholic church with statuary. We see you. Um, Think about how serious they take it. Yeah. Compared sure. to how casual and frivolous yeah, that's, are that's true. The, the evangelical, that's true. even even sort of usage of images are. Think about how serious making an image is of of Jesus is for the Eastern Orthodox. That's true. It's a big deal. And they treat it with a f- with we would say an inappropriate amount of reverence. Right. But, but on the reverence. flip side, right, there's reverence because this is an image of Jesus. Exactly. Right. When we do exactly. it and we colloquially like Protestants, evangelicals, when we do it, it's like no big deal. And that's like the it's no big deal. Well, yeah. but if it's an image of Jesus, if you really think this is supposed to be a picture of Jesus, like that's a big yeah, deal. That's legit. You should treat it like as a big deal because Jesus is a big deal. Because yeah. we wouldn't want a, like a misrepresentation of us. Right, right. right. If you're like somebody painted you and it's like, we're going to put this up in the government building. He'd be like, yo, that's not me. Right. My nose doesn't look like that at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. I get that down. Last thing I'll say then <laughs> is, because I was going to say this earlier and, and then I forgot about it. And now you reminded me is I said before on my run, there are at least three of these statues of Mary. Now I actually see the bullet casing yeah. Mary. There's gotta be a proper name for this, Probably. but we're just going to go with that. 
as actually some form of like weird reverence right. because they it's don't like want shelter. her to be yes yeah. in the rain. It's, it's an exemplification of the fact that we're putting her outside, but she's covered and protected. Right. There is one statue of what I would call like an I don't know like an unhoused Mary in my neighborhood. And I know I don't know this woman, but because I've run so many times by this woman, uh, she's a little bit elderly. But she, I assume that she's devout because she brings the statue in when the yeah. weather is inclement. Yeah, which is crazy to me. Yeah, just get a little bullet shelter. Which is great. Yeah, put a little <laughs> put a little Mary tent up. Yeah, exactly. But this shows a high level of right. respect for the iconography itself. Right. Which, to your point, is like so we've got this like doubly twisted. Yeah. Or maybe doubly twist isn't right because you end up in the same place you started. But it's a matter of the fact that we're just too casual. Like you're yeah. almost like be all in or be out. Right. And we're just saying you might as well step. Yeah. Like what is just that? Hokey pokey? Like, yeah. yeah, get out. Put your whole self out. Put your whole self out. Speaking grab, of, grab your nearest papist and shake them all about. <laughs> that's, that's the way to do it. That's so good. We couldn't even have planned that. That's true. We yeah. don't plan anything. We don't plan anything. Speaking of not planning anything, let's talk about some PC prayer. So yes. we're not politically correct. It's public and corporate. And uh, I made the joke at the start of this before in our two minutes of planning where I said, listen, we're coming out of the prayer closet because this is not a conversation <laughs> about personal prayer, right. about private prayer, but like what is the place of public and corporate? And actually, I think you started in a place in our, our pre-meeting that was 30 seconds long of defining those two and kind of separating them, putting a crowbar between them and putting a wedge between them. Let's start there. Cause I think it'd be helpful for people to, yeah. to know that we're not talking about like the same thing. We're not using synonyms here we're talking about different stuff. Yeah. So, so we've been on this little mini series within a major series. Uh, I just gave Jesse a look. I was very pleased with myself on that little turn of phrase. Um, we've been on this little mini series in this bigger series uh, about corporate worship, right? So, so we've done it. We did an episode on private prayer and sort of, devotional prayer and how that's important, why it's important. And, and we kind of came to the conclusion that like none of us does it enough, but there's a special place in the church. There's a special place in the life of a Christian for not only praying with other Christians and sort of like private prayer events, private prayer meetings, right? If Jesse and I are having breakfast in the morning and we pray together, that's not really corporate prayer. Right. right. It's joint prayer. It's prayer that, you know, it's it's prayer with another Christian. When we talk about corporate prayer, we're talking about when the church gathers as the church, officially, formally, institutionally, when the church is gathered, particularly on the Lord's Day, and is praying together, that's a very specific, unique thing that is different than other types of prayer that are not being presided over by the elders that right. are not being summoned and gathered by the elders in a call to worship. And then on top of that, another layer of that is the pastoral prayer, right? So, so that, that goes into um, elements of what it means for the pastor to sort of be in a priestly role in a prophetic role. All of that is sort of layered in here and we're not going to get through a ton of this because we're going to run out of time here pretty quick, I think. But um, <laughs> it, it's important for us to, to sort of step back and look at this because I think, I think this is an area we just, I know that I don't think that much about, yeah. right? I go to church on Sunday and the, the pastor prays mm -hmm. and I pray with him, but I don't necessarily know that I think about it, reflect on how that's different than just me praying myself or with my wife or with, you know, a friend at work that's a Christian or something like that. Yeah, for sure. I think there's this tendency for Protestants in particular to underemphasize it. Maybe for good reason, at least yeah. the intent is good. 
because you either overemphasize it and you go kind of like full Catholic style where it's right. like, well, we have a full intercessor. The priest prays in such a way, uses a language we don't understand, right. but that he's really representing the people. And all I have to do is kind of just chill within like the range of his voice. Right. And the same probably happens. And the Protestants kind of push against that and say, oh, listen, aren't we like all priests? Aren't yeah. we a kingdom of priests? And here we come together and God, you know, moves and works through each of us and that we're able to have direct access. We can walk boldly into the throne room and we're saying yes. And to some degree, yes. And so there's this idea that I think Christianity in its essence is always, there's always something about mediation, isn't there? Right. Yeah. And so like when God first calls us together and then calls us to pray together, but that prayer in, in some ways when we're together happens in a mediated fashion, yes. happens with one who is in some ways vetted to provide that prayer and probably, you know, all things considered is trained and prepared to pray on that particular Lord's yes. day. And then the beauty of this is as we are listening, we are saying, yes, yes. Like he's praying for me. Right. Like I agree. He's praying in ways I could not pray for myself even. He's praying theology that maybe I couldn't articulate, but yes, yes, please, Lord, listen to him on my behalf. Yeah. And in, even in that, we find this example, or we see like this example of Jesus who can use to mediate for us. So it is both like the act that in in somebody praying over us in this corporate setting, as God calls us to that corporate prayer, that something special is happening. But even more than that, and in addition to that, we're seeing like this one lovely example of Jesus and we fall into love with the mediator. We fall into this place where we need the mediator still because the pastor who's praying in your congregation over you is in some ways exemplifying the fact that Jesus in human form is standing before the father yeah. And interceding in a similar but much more profound and superior way. Yeah. And I think if you think about um, the way that prayer functions on an individual basis first, right? So so we pray and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, right? So we come right. before the Father um, with Christ as our covenant head, our mediator. We come um, representing him and represented by him, Yes, right? And then also, in addition to that, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us inside of us on our behalf. He's bringing forward. Um, we, we've talked about this before, like the Holy Spirit interceding with groans that are too deep for words is not me like in some intel unintelligible prayer language. Right. It's the Holy Spirit. First and foremost, I think bringing forward the words for me to pray. Right. Right. It's the Holy Spirit giving me the words to pray. He's changing me. He's transforming me. But it's also him going and being in the presence of the Father by the mediation of Christ on our behalf in a similar way, but not exactly the same as the way Jesus is. Well, all of that is still true in the corporate prayer. And I think the big difference between the Roman Catholic model and the Protestant model and, and when it's working right in the Roman Catholic model, you're right. Like the people are just there and like the priest is doing his thing right. and like, it doesn't really matter if you're there or not. Right. Like, honestly, like it, it, it doesn't. doesn't matter. Or if, if you're, you're listening even. Right. If you're listening. <laughs> and this has been a theme, I think, even when we talked about the public reading of the word, or public yes. preaching of the word, when our pastor or any, anyone is praying publicly in the service and there's a variety of views about who should be allowed to pray publicly and all of that. We're not going to get into that, but when the pastor is praying, it's not a spectator sport, yeah, right? You're right not on. there just hearing the words. He's, right. he's praying on your behalf, but he's praying as sort of the representative of the whole congregation who is joined in that activity with him. Yes. So he's the figurehead. He's the one who's, whose mouth is moving and words are coming out of it. But it's not as though he's praying and you're not. Right. It's not as though you're disengaged and he's not. And just like when someone is reading the word from the scripture up front, 
we have to be engaged with that. And I want to just read this from the confession here. Um, this is from chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession. This is uh, section three says prayer with thanksgiving, one being one special part of religious worship is by God required of all men and that it may be accepted as be made in the name of the son by the help of the spirit, according to his will with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance. And if focal in a known tongue. So this is in a chapter specifically on the Sabbath day, on religious worship and the Sabbath day. Right. So although there are implications for this in um, private prayer, individual prayer, this is specifically in, in has in view the corporate prayer of God's people when gathered on the Lord's day. Yeah. And so when you're in the congregation, um, and just like I just like I kind of threw myself at the mercy of the listener with the public reading of the God's of God's word, there are times when when our pastor is praying that I have to resist the urge to use that to try to figure out what the next step of the service is. Sure. Or to use that, you know, if I'm when I can remember back times when I was in college, like to use that not to check my phone right. or not to like flirt with the girl sitting next to me. Although right, right now or the girl your... sitting next to me is my wife. So that's different. <laughs> but in college, like I had to be careful not to uh, abuse that time sure, because that's time that I'm supposed to be praying with Thanksgiving, right. with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance. None of those things are passive elements. So even though I'm not speaking, even though I'm not generating the prayer out of my mind and out of my mouth, I should still be an active participant in that prayer. For sure. It, receiving the words that are being heard, agreeing with them. I think, let me get a little charismatic here, at times vocalizing my agreement with that. Yeah, I, like, I think that that's that. valuable I and important and appropriate if done appropriately it can yes. be done inappropriately too but all of those things are things for us to keep in mind when we are involved in the corporate prayer on the lord's day yeah that i like that a lot this idea that we need both that god has ordained both and they both have specific purposes that are very separate and distinct so when a pastor prays over his congregation for his congregation it's really with his congregation right. they should be swept up in the prayers that he's making, because he is in many ways interceding on right. their behalf. Right. Now the intercession falls under the intercession of Jesus Christ, who secured all things. He's the ultimate intercessor, but that is in what many ways allows him to do that very thing. And it strikes me again, that there are many times. So I, I think people have all had the experience where you've been through something or you're experiencing something. And what you think is I can't pray for myself anymore. Yeah, I just can't. The great benefit is that God has ordained every seven days, you might get that experience as part and parcel of your right. normative coming right. to worship him, that that's what he desires for you. And when you have a pastor who is committed, who has strong fidelity to scriptures, who's prepared, he is making a way for you and he is praying in such a way to usher you into that. Right. I love this idea. And we talked about this before that God is so good to us that in many ways, like he bookends us with intercession. So there is, is Christ who stands before the Father, and there's a Holy Spirit that indwells us. And so to me, I've always thought about this as like, if, you, if you're a person that doesn't know how to drive like stick shift, you get in that car. This is So like this idea of like when Paul says like, we don't know how to pray. Yeah. I think you're right. What happens is most of the people are like, yeah, I don't know the words. Like I wish I had better ways to express how I feel and the inner resources of my own hearts and my the internal place where I find that my essence finds itself. Um but I love John Bunyan on this where he says like, no, no, no. He, he, he takes it like almost like a low bottom shelf, low shelf where he's like, listen, what Paul says is you just don't know how to do it. It's right. not about words. It's that you just don't know how to pray well. Right. You can't pray well. And so this idea is basically like learning to drive stick shift. Wouldn't it be better if you had somebody in the car who could tell you when to shift? Better yet, 
would do it perfectly for you to illustrate this is how you drive efficiently and maximize the power of the engine and do it without grinding the gears. That's the Holy Spirit yeah. coming alongside and making prayer beautiful and efficient and efficacious and the kind of thing where the engine of prayer, so to speak, hums and purrs as you move through the various undulations and hills of life where you're going through all the gears perfectly even as you don't even understand how to drive stick shift. Yeah. So I think you're right. Like we underemphasize this because we just think, well, this is part of the liturgy. It's just like another part of like, if I'm looking at like the machine, like the, the washing machine cycles of like the service, we go into this cycle and it's prayer time. Yeah. We go into this cycle and yeah. it's preaching. We go into this cycle and it's reading the cycle and singing. It, it's not that at all. This is like a tremendously important part of our worship. And it is the kind of thing that I think is a means of grace that gives us great blessing. Like we receive from God in this time, both public and corporate prayer. One last thing uh, that you just really struck for me is that one of the great blessings in my own life is when I have the opportunity to participate in worship through music and our team has prepared during the week and then we prepared on Sunday morning, we practiced, we always spend some time before the service praying. Now that could be a group of 10 or 20 people, depending on the size of the team. What I love is like that to me is like the furnace room that happens. Like we sometimes finish that time and I made this joke here and, and they love it there. It's a real crowd pleaser. I'd be like, <laughs> we don't need a door. Let's just run through the wall right now yeah. because everybody's pumped up. But that's a time where there is, it's, it's kind of like public prayer with a, like a lowercase P. I mean, yeah. there's more people there uh, than like just you and I praying. However, it's this idea of like, there is a responsiveness. I'll, I'll regularly say right on or yeah. amen, or yes, Lord, please. As we're pleading like the promises of God before we go into this time of corporate worship. And that prayer is exhilarating. It's powerful. It is the kind of thing that I think uh, provides like a distillation, a sense of focus of what we're about to do. And all these things are meaningful. Like I hope yeah. people, and all that I say is because the people there are committed to participating in that prayer as it's unfolding yeah, and not being just pure consumers or those that are just kind of observing what's happening. Yeah. I think the other element of, so, so we've talked about like the pastoral prayer or sort of like the public, right. Um, public prayer sort of by an individual upfront, right. It's not always the pastor that's doing that, but um there's also an element of the corporate prayer of the church in something like a prayer meeting. Yeah. Or even some yes. churches, our church occasionally, depending on Sunday, will have time either immediately after the service or sometimes right before Sunday school where our congregation will will go around and everybody will pray. And it's not it's not your typical kind of like popcorn prayer where like, you know, everyone's expected to pray. We literally go around the circle. And what I found is such a blessing in that time is – if we're engaged, right? If I'm engaged and I'm joining in prayer with the person on the other side of the room who's praying, and I'm not just using that time to think about what I'm going to pray about right. or thinking, trying to get my Bible open to the passage or trying to find my notes from last week. If I'm engaged, oftentimes a person will pray in a way that I would never think to pray. Yeah, right? exactly. Sometimes that's as relatively insignificant as a certain turn of phrase right. or a particular totally kind of like emotive way of talking that I would never pray that way. And although like there's no prescribed pattern of prayer that we must pray in, there are benefits to different patterns and, and formats and phrasings of prayer. And likewise, there are people who, um, who are not theologically astute or technical that would never pray the way I do. 
Amen. Right. When I pray, because I just because I know my own weakness, I try to stay close either to scripture passages that I've memorized right. or I pray confessional language. Right. A lot of times I'll pray the Nicene Creed. And I've told this, I've told this story before, and this is a, a saint who's actually no longer with our church. So I'm, I'm not risking uh, throwing anyone under the bus here, mm-hmm. but I, I was um, tasked with praying publicly one Sunday many years ago in the church. And I just prayed the Nicene Creed, basically. Like I prayed through the major clauses of the Nicene Creed. And after the service, this dear old saint who loves the Lord Jesus and wasn't like a theological slouch, right? I mean, Jesse knows who I'm talking about. This was a person both of us have have looked up to as a saint in the Lord many for many years. For sure. Um, he just came up to me. He's like, man, that prayer was so edifying. Where did you get that language? And, he, I, and when I said to him, well, it's the Nicene Creed, he kind of looked at me like, oh, of course it's the Nicene Creed. Like yeah. he wasn't surprised by it, but he would never to th- he would never think to pray through confessional language. And because that language is vetted by the church throughout its history, that really blessed him and it guided his prayers as he was engaged in a particular way that he would never have prayed. So there's there's great, this is this is the body of Christ in action, right? Yeah, this is Paul's sure. metaphor of the body. Not everyone's an eye, not everyone's an ear. This is that metaphor, that reality in action in the prayers of the church, right? My wife is a, is an amazing prayer warrior. And mm-hmm. I don't use that language lightly. Like that's, I know that's really cliche language. Your mother prays yeah, like sure. people I've never Yes. Like she, she just gets at it yes. and I benefit on a weekly basis from participating along with them in their prayers. Mm. And that's something I just think we really, really miss out on if, if we, if we reduce our prayer life to what happens in our private prayer closet yeah. and don't think about the just immense blessing there is in sort of this public prayer activity of the church, whether that takes the form of this sort of corporate pastoral prayer from the pulpit or whether it's this corporate prayer as God's body comes before the Lord together as, as a unified body. It's just a real blessing and a means of grace that I, I just don't see that being an active part of a lot of people's thought process when they think about how they come before the Lord. You've basically given this really nice clarion call, which is to say, appreciate, participate, ruminate in, come alongside of your pastoral prayer. But in addition, here's why I love what you just said is attend your own prayer meeting in your yeah. church. Yeah. And pray. You may feel like you're not equipped to do so, but that's exactly the kind of attitude that I think God is using to bring a means of grace and edification to other saints that are in your midst. Yeah, We all need your prayers. And when there's a public setting where it's an idea of, the idea is for God's people to come together and to pray in their own turn of phrase, with their own emotions, in their own language, that is like the language of the words that they use. Right to appreciate and to edify and to adore our father, that that's exactly the kind of thing that he intended. It's that's not like this idea where it's like, you know, you need to somehow graduate from a particular school or classroom in order to pray. This is the language that means to have intimacy with God and we all need to hear it. So we should eschew those who would say like, if you don't pray in a particular way, use the right kind of language or use thee or thou, then somehow you are not equipped to do that. God is the exact opposite. And, th- and this goes back to even like, you know, we find in the New Testament, the all these examples that either Jesus gives us by parable or otherwise, you know, the prayer that is honored is the one that is honest before the Father. Yeah. The one that says, woe unto me, I am right. a sinner, for instance. That is, yeah. in fact, the best kind of prayer. So if that's all we can say, and we can all say that, 
then there's no language you need to use. There's no particular thing. If you have it, that's fine to use. But it also means that like this diversity that God has given us, he has equipped us because what he said is the spirit leads us into prayer. Yeah. And so if we're seeking after communication with God in a way that's truly authentic and with great fidelity to the scriptures, then what we'll find is that our prayers are going to find themselves to be encouraging to others and filled with the kind of means of grace that bring us closer to the father and closer to each other. So I like this idea because I actually find that people will find it easier to understand to come alongside probably what we're saying with this idea of uh, participate yeah. in the worship on the Lord's day. But this idea of, if you say to everybody, you ought to pray and you know what you should do? Try playing, praying out loud in front yeah. of everybody. There's some that will say, I can't do that. Yeah. That's not for me. I'm I'm not as like silver tongued as other people. And I would just say, that's not the point. Like yeah. I, and there's possible that the people that you think are silver tongued need to hear your prayers more than you need to hear theirs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I, I think it's often the very simple, straightforward prayers of yes. seasoned saints who just don't, they don't care about all of the like, rhetorical flourishes and stuff they just this is just they're just talking to their father like there's a casualness but not in the like disrespectful casualness there's an intimacy it's a reverence a still. familiarity with god yeah. that you you only get with years and years of loving jesus and i think oftentimes those are the ones that hit me the those are those are the times that really sink into my heart the most right when somebody that i might look at and go like yeah they they're not really eloquent they're not really you know they they're not high minded they don't know theological categories they'll pray and it just i just i'm sort of shamed by it sometimes yeah, it could be undone right? by that it kind of prayer it can be undone by the simplicity of Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah, like, for sure. That kind of simple, straightforward, non-loquacious prayer yeah. sometimes can really make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, you use the word loquacious, loquacious. in the back of, in the, yes. explain it. Let me tie it or try to bring it like all the way together, going all the way back to affirmations and denials. We talked about, and I think you were right on about this, of course, this idea of sometimes to learn rest, you have to sit and rest a little while. Yeah. And I think this is in some ways what's very powerful about gathering together for prayer. You have to sit in that place of prayer with your brothers and sisters, sometimes a little while, as you kind of, as the Lord himself strips away everything, the distractedness, the awkwardness of what you're doing. That is why we gather sometimes just to pray. Yeah. And my church in particular gathers weekly, aside from the Lord's Day, just to pray. And part of that is this exercise of getting beyond what seems awkward and weird and strange, Yeah, but it's, it's literally sitting in that. And really what God does is some really miraculous work. And I think we all arise from that situation and we find that God has worked far more on us than we did on him, so to speak. Yeah. That certainly we brought before him things that are of grave concern to us. At the same time, somehow we walk out of there with greater energy, greater source of purpose, greater sense that he is with us and that he loves us. And the time that was spent there was powerful and effective for the kingdom and our souls. But part of that happened by way of this investment of time. Yeah. That you had to get beyond the first few minutes. And that's easy, I think, especially in your personal prayer life, to get to a point and then get distracted and move on. When you're with other people, you say, all right. We're doing this thing, right? Yep, like we set up for an we, hour. We, yep. Yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say the same thing. We set up a time for an hour, so none of us gonna get up, right? And that good accountability is, in some ways, to say, 
let God put you over the anvil. Yeah. He's going to do it. And you're willing to say, I submit myself to him by setting aside this time. Yeah. Well, Jesse, I'm looking at the clock and I'm realizing we're out of time. Are we over? We are. No, no, we're under, oh, but okay. we're over. <laughs> so I'm going to wrap things up. This is what happens when you get a text message from your brother-in-law who's in the basement and that says you want to record in 20 minutes it's and true. you say, let's do it. But with that in mind, Jesse, happy new year. Happy new year. And until next time, honor everyone. Love that brotherhood. Oh.